Welcome to Mauer Glass Podcast, where we view the world through the lens of design. I'm Jill Mauer, and I'm here with Artemis. All right, so let's get it out of the way. Royal Wedding, did you see any of it? I saw, I didn't see any video of the wedding. Okay. Um, I did see some photographs and I checked out the jewelry Mm -hmm. that she wore. And I really loved both of the dresses that I saw. I loved her wedding dress and I loved the reception dress. What's interesting, what was, what was the most interesting thing to me just in the little bit that I read and, and looking at the jewelry was that what was controversial was Harry's wedding ring. Did you hear about this? No. So normally the man's wedding ring, which I'm not exactly sure why they even give because the royal doesn't wear it. It is considered tacky or gauche for a royal male to wear his to wear a wedding ring. But apparently one is given. Um, and it's usually from the stash of Welsh gold that the queen has. And apparently Megan's ring was made from that, but his was platinum. This was breaking tradition, mm-hmm. a, a simple platinum etched band, you know, so I found that to be... So an, an, another check mark on the list of groundbreaking things that's right. going on in this wedding. <laughs> <laughs> right. So a man has a platinum band. Right. So I'm curious now to see in this breaking of tradition whether he's going to wear this ring on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I will say that in looking at the pictures, and, and I looked at this kind of roundup of the jewelry that she wore, and of course it was Cartier, and I really liked the tiara she chose, which um, I think was from Mary, uh, mm-hmm. Queen Mary. It, it, you know, it's understated, gorgeous. Um, but I didn't in this roundup, I didn't see something that I did see in a photograph of her. I saw a photograph of her waving from her limo, and she was wearing what I think was Princess Diana's turquoise ring, mm-hmm. um, which I think is lovely also. Yeah, that's that's got to be like the craziest jewelry box to have access to. It's a vault. <laughs> it's it's a not vault. a box. It's a whole building. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I like... Um, what I love about these royal weddings is every time it happens uh, over here in America, our, our internet gets really funny. Suddenly, like the most searched thing is, you know, how do you become? How does one become a duchess? Like, is there are there kids going to be prince and princess? Like, we all get like a crash course on how the whole royal dichotomy works. One of, one of my favorite memes to come out of it was a picture of Pippa who showed up in this like uh, forested mint green dress that had. Uh, really pink like cherry blossoms on them and someone posted it up next to a picture of an Arizona tea can and it's like the exact same <laughs> it was like <laughs> apparently she was sponsored by Arizona tea <laughs> you know I was around for Princess Diana's wedding and I did see that one on TV I was I was young and it was a big deal and mm-hmm. you know it was a it, it was amazing but that's the last time I actually watched the wedding. Yeah, and uh, all the celebrities that showed up, people were checking out there. One of the f- other funny things that happened was they showed a picture of David Beckham who looked like awesome as always. He had his three piece, his little pocket watch and his hair was combed back and it said, I'm saying, man, if, if he shows up to my wedding dress like that, I'm sending him home. You can't show up to my <laughs> wedding looking that good. This is my wedding. <laughs> 
That's funny. So uh, the cast of Suits, were they there? Yeah, the creator of Suits was there, and he was actually... Uh, talking about this this was also online he was talking about like what it was like to attend the royal wedding and how crazy it was to see he was i wonder what they're going to do in that show now because she probably doesn't have to work anymore like on the show <laughs> right i think she's already left the show okay um i don't, I don't think she can work anymore so right. there there are rules about that like she had to give up her facebook account and and some different things there are rules oh, about that and regarding money, this is one thing that I um, was sort of curious about, and I looked on the the I, I actually searched it, and it is it is an issue. This is something that I think about a lot because I'm a, a business person, and um, I'm in an international entrepreneurial group, and there are problems with Americans. You know, we we think we're the freest nation in the country, and that is not true. She's got an issue, and I, it'll be interesting to see how she works it out, but. The U.S. is the only country on the planet that requires you to pay taxes on money that you earn outside of the country. So, so she is probably going to have to relinquish her U.S. citizenship, which will take about five years, because here's the way the U.S. looks at it. And, and it, it, it really exemplifies how ridiculous this law is. And it makes it a lot harder for Americans to do business in, in foreign countries, and it makes it a lot harder for somebody to go to a foreign country and just work. So for example, if you if you go to a foreign country and you're making $70,000 a year, you have to pay taxes in both countries. And a lot of the socialist type countries, you know, when you get free healthcare and all that, it's it's you 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 still pay. You you have a much higher tax rate. So you're making 70,000, you you you're going to pay about 50% in the country that you're in or whatever it is. So you're down to 35. Now you're going to pay another 30% to the U.S. It makes it very difficult to live abroad a lot of times. And it's very difficult to even put your money in a bank because the U.S. requires these banks to do all this reporting that is a burden on the bank. And so the bank just says, forget it. Like, don't don't even bring your money here. So it's very much a trouble. In um, Meghan Markle's case, so she's marrying the prince, Right? So if they combine their assets, <laughs> the U.S. wants to know. I mean, you know, they, they would, they, they want to tax this. So she can't, you know, normally she would get some sort of allowance, and it's not clear whether they'll even give it to her because it would mostly be taken by the U.S. Between wow. the, and, and then she can't really share in his assets because the U.S. would stake claim to some of them. So it is, it's a ridiculous law. It is, um, you know, these... The foreigners in, in this group that I'm in, um, the foreigners, even Canadians, would not marry an American because of all the trouble that it, that it leads you. So a lot of times somebody who's wealthy and doing business around the world, say from Europe or um, from South Africa or from wherever, they might have to, to cover the, this section of the world. They'll usually have a house in Canada or South America, but never the U.S. Here, here, here I was excited about the dress. It's like, what? And you may ask, how do corporations get, a, get around this? Because, you know, you hear a lot about Microsoft and, and Coca-Cola and different companies who do a lot of business around the world, and they're not... The U.S. government gets all mad because the business they're doing outside of the U.S., they don't pay taxes in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Well, they're paying taxes and doing everything in those countries, right? So what they do is they create corporations 
that are separate. So they'll have a Coca-Cola Japan, a Coca-Cola China, or even a Coca-Cola International. Um, and then that'll be a separate entity and that does business outside the US. Oh, and by the way, their children, the US considers her children to be US citizens, whether she likes it or not. Oh boy. So it's, it's gonna be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. She probably needs to relinquish her, her citizenship, which by the way, takes five to seven years for a normal person. Mm-hmm before she has children, if they're going to have children. So uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it sounds like they're the only two that didn't really enjoy the wedding. (laughs) Back of that carriage just waving on, just like, oh man, the U.S. thinks they're getting half of this. They are out of their minds. (laughs) Yeah, it is a huge design problem. It's a bigger design problem than just designing the wedding. He just looks over at her. She's in a beautiful dress in the back of the carriage. She just goes, hey, so uh, you need to get a job. She's like, what? The white dress. This is just a friend of mine. <laughs> um, Starbucks. You hear about their bath- bathroom policy? They're going to change their bathroom policy. bathroom policy. So this is part of. They're still cleaning up their latest PR issue with those two gentlemen they kicked out. I did hear that they're changing their definition of a customer. That, after that, yes. That, so that's essentially what it is. You can stay inside. You can go. They had an email come out and it just said that you know we consider everyone a customer. You can come in. You can use a restroom. Everything. But the biggest thing was New Yorkers were like, oh, this is a game changer for us because public restrooms are like the biggest issue in in New York in terms of like travelers. So and it's not just people. I mean, it's like pregnant women it's people that have uh, health reasons that they need to be like a restroom right um and then it called into question uh this there were a couple of public restroom like facilities that were made by a private company that you know don't sort of really work and people are now re-asking the question why doesn't new york fix this problem it's like because there's not really that much money in it and there's no one they said i think they said the quote was there's no one entity that has any real interest in fixing the problem so when i was in paris I think it was Paris. Paris definitely has these bathrooms that are just in the middle of a, they'll be in the middle of a, a public area. And you, you, they're just sort of unique. They're just sort of a bubble unto themselves, almost mm-hmm. like a phone booth in a way, but a big one. And you go in, you know, mm-hmm. anybody can go in and do them. And, and then what happens is, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting Paris and the Middle East confused because it was the same trip, but I think it was Paris. And also Asia. But there are certain areas where not only do they have this, but when you leave and it's shut and they're sure nobody is in there, it just sort of washes the whole thing out with bleach water. It's like it just flushes the whole bathroom. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and I was astonished at that. It might be Paris. I, I, don't, I don't remember. But you wash the room? <laughs> yes. It just washes the whole room. And then, you know, it can kind of open up again for you to go in. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Can you do it before you use it? <laughs> I don't think so. You're not in control of that happening. Oh, okay. Is my is my recollection. It's been a long time since I've Mm-mm-mm. I've experienced this, but yes. So I bet it and did it like was it a portable thing or was it like a permanent fixture? It, no, it looked very permanent. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's a weird. I guess it's I don't know. It's it's fun that now that we have social media and everyone's having more like PR nightmares now because everything that happens at any one chain, the whole world finds out about. It's it's interesting seeing how these companies are like dealing with them. I listened to a podcast where the Starbucks has hired some really leading lawyers in the field of civil rights, some some civil rights lawyers, to help them, to help teach them how to train their employees. 
So, you know, this, this thing on May 29th isn't going to be just a one-day thing. And that's what these civil rights lawyers said is, we're not going to help you if it's just a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, this, this has to be a consistent process of training. It has to be part of the managerial thing um, because it's about bias. You know, it really is about bias. And we all have bias. And, you know, this was an extreme example. Mm-hmm. But we all have bias, and they're trying to help sort that out in the workplace. And it's hard because, you know, they've got 8,000. When you think about it, they have 8,000 locations, and they have a staff that turns over. So this has to be a constant training. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating that you can't control the quality of a social experience for a company that large. And any one of those people can do serious damage to the company just like we saw there. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason these civil rights lawyers said that they were willing to help Starbucks is because Starbucks has a history of really trying to solve this problem. You know, they, they, they're not doing it just in reaction to this. They have come out before and said, you know, this is an issue and we need to help solve it. And it's a complicated problem. Yeah, and Starbucks uh, also in that uh, related article, they were talking about how they're getting ready to open up 6,000 locations in China, which is basically going to make them the biggest international growing chain. Um, and speaking of China, I'm not sure if they're toying with the idea or they've officially decided to do it, but it said that they're planning on lifting their child ban, how many children you can actually have. Really? Yeah, because they're the one that, what was it, you can have like one kid and... They they have they had some limit where after this number of kids you're like cut off and it was the whole yeah, world was sort of so, like this is weird. So and that ban, my understanding is, and this has been a problem for a long time, that the the what the ban what you'll find in China, my understanding, is that there are a disproportionate number of males. Like it's mm-hmm. just not possible. And that that this is happening in nature. And so and this has gone on since before I was born, where there was this issue and what's happening is girls, baby girls are killed. Yeah. And that's the only answer. There was an episode of House back in the day where that was that was the solution to one of the medical issues. She was having seizures or she was having some sort of recurring thing where she would be hospitalized. And the solution ended up that she had come from one of those child limit uh, countries. And what had happened was when she was a baby, they had like pressed metals like these little metal rods or something into her skull where it was open because that was like a very undetectable way to just have a child sort of die the thing was is she didn't die and they got rid of her and she grew up but she still had traces of metal and that's what was causing the issue and he i I think he figured out he's like wait a second if she was from china she's a girl all right check her head (laughs) check her head because he had read about that before wow yeah that's terrible so probably now they're experiencing you know, there are problems when you have a society that is whatever person, you know, a, mm-hmm. an out, um, unreasonable proportion of males. And overall, China's getting a lot, lot more sort of Western. So that lifestyle of wanting more and more kids might, I don't know, that might, <laughs> we might have another issue with this population problem. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So Artemis, are you worried about gonorrhea at all? N- not particularly. <laughs> Should I be? You should be. Okay. It turns out that gonorrhea is going to be and is going to be incurable very soon. What? Yes. So this was an interesting design situation. Um, gonorrhea has been around for a long time, and we 
were killing it with penicillin for a good while and then killing it with other things. And so gonorrhea has been able to change and migrate, you know, and switch just just enough to avoid um, being killed. So here's what I, I want to tell you what the guy, Alexander Fleming, who uh, in 1945, when he was getting the Nobel Prize for discovering penicillin, here's what he said. This is what he said at the end of his speech. It was a warning. There is the danger that the ignorant man may easily underdose himself and by exposing his microbes to non-lethal quantities of the drug, make them resistant. Mm. So that's what's happened. People have under, they, they haven't really killed the virus. They've kept just enough of it so that it can mutate. And it has mutated to the point that we can't kill it. So it's sort of like a super gonorrhea virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have any way to kill it. And, you know, this is, this I think is going to be a huge problem. We inject animals that we eat with the same antibiotics that we use on ourselves. That has been, you know, people have been sounding the alarms on that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that is going to become That's crazy. A I, remember, I remember when that was hand sanitizer. You know, it kills 99.9% of germs. And that 0.1% is going to be street smart. He's right, going to right. grow and grow it pretty soon. <laughs> that soap might as well just be like tap water. Yeah, so we're entering, we are now entering... All right, so I'll just add that to my list of fears I need to have. Gonorrhea breaking down the door and say, it's time, buddy. <laughs> right. It's kind of baseball bad. It's like, you've been working out? You're kind of buff up here. <laughs> so, yeah, that is... And how do, you, how do you fix that, I guess? We, we could have fixed it. We didn't listen. We didn't, we didn't mm. listen. So we should have had a separate set of antibiotics for the cattle and for us. It's 2018, we should have done better. Mixtape is getting really good. <laughs> right. Climate change, gonorrhea. Yeah, all right. So I have my the most exciting article for you. For those of you who don't know me, I my favorite animal on the planet is the octopus. It is the greatest animal. We talk about... Not only do I know that, I know what your second favorite animal is. What is my second favorite animal? Owl. Absolutely. Octopus and then the owl. In that order, specifically. Um, Third is a praying mantis, which is more of an insect, but that's a story for another time. So the octopus is the weirdest creature on the planet. It's one of the best. Uh, I remember we were watching those videos where they were showing the experiments they did where they'd get a new octopus, they'd put him in a glass cage with a puzzle, and inside the, the puzzle box would be some food that he could see. And he would try and swirm his little tentacles into it and try to grab it. It just wouldn't work. And then in a cage next to him that has a window that he could see, they'd put an octopus who has done this several times. The second octopus would open the box immediately and eat the food. And what they noticed was that the first octopus would suck himself up to the window, watch how the other one solved the it puzzle, and then do wild. it himself. It was wild watching that octopus go right up to the window. And, and I mean, <laughs> it was amazing. And then go and solve the puzzle. And they're like, all right, well, maybe that's a fluke. So they keep doing experiments that are harder and harder. And one of my favorites is they gave him a glass vase with this tiny little neck that he can't possibly, you know, reach his arms in to grab. And inside is a food. It almost looks like a carafe that you put wine in. Uh, and so he tries to put his tentacles in and it's not working. He's like, eh, eh, I just almost got it. And then he reasons, and he sits back, and I love the narrator. He just goes, and at this point, the octopus reasons, if that food got in there, somehow he could also. <laughs> so the octopus gets all squishy and tiny, and the whole octopus gets inside of this thing. 
And the food, by the way, was a living crab who thought he was safe. And then the octopus is like, hey, got room for another? Gets in there, fills the whole bowl, eats the crab, and then, you know, slipperies his way on out. I'm telling you, the octopus is the most devious creature on the planet by far. I mean, that that story, Rainbow Fish, like he's that octopus in that story is the is the greatest villain I think in in, in history. The villain? How is he the villain? Villain? You don't remember the octopus in the? I remember the octopus. Yeah, he was a villain. He's absolutely okay. For for did you did you ever read that read Rainbow Fish to your kids at did all? I, yeah, I was gonna say, did I ever read Rainbow Fish? Yes, <laughs> I did. All right, well, for our listeners, why don't, why don't you tell our listeners the story of Rainbow Fish? Let's hear it. Okay, so this is just from my memory. Um, there was a rainbow fish. He's the most sparkly, uh, beautiful fish in the ocean. He's got little rainbow tumors all over his body. He's got, he's got, yeah, these sparkly scales. and But he has no friends. None of the other fish will play with him. And he is bragging. I think he does brag about his scales. I'm not sure. But anyway, he has this dilemma because he has no friends. And so... I don't know, I don't remember if he goes to the octopus or the octopus comes to him, but the octopus has an idea. And this idea is for the rainbow fish to give one of his scales to each of the other more plain Jane fish. And then they can all be friends. And in fact, they are friends. Oh, that was really good. That was, that was a great reading of that. So what do you think is the motivation behind this octopus's suggestion to the rainbow fish? Well... You know, the, what everybody says is socialism, that it's, you know, that it's about spreading the wealth and everybody being sort of equal. I, I did have some problems with this story just because I felt like, you know, if somebody's not going to be your friend because you don't give them something, I mean, what were, I, I don't know. It was, it was a little odd, but, you know, the general thing that I've heard is socialism. All right, so let's let's talk about the octopuses hunting uh, for a second, how they get food. So there's a couple of ways. Um, one of it is as they're just sort of scurrying across the ocean, they're just like, oh, look, there's food right there, and they just eat it, right? How they detect it is their eyes are some of the most advanced things on the planet. They operate in a lot of ways that cameras operate in terms of how they reflect light and all this sort of stuff. One of the crucial ways that they find what they're going to hunt is the way that light reflects off of them. So, in essence, the shinier the prey, the easier it is for him to see. So when the octopus is saying, hey, Mr. Rainbowfish, why don't you give all of your buddies there a, a shiny little scale? What he's effectively saying is, hey, would you mind just pointing out dinner for the next six months? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine he's swimming across the ocean and it's like a buffet of rainbow-colored fish now? Well, that's not socialism at all, is it? That is... No, that's pure capitalism. I would argue that that is wow. the most consumer-based, like, I, he is gaming the system. My, wow. <laughs> Poor little rainbow fish. Yeah, I no. can't believe I ever read that to my children. That's horrible. Yeah, kind of, what kind of mom were you? Whoa. <laughs> my mind is blown. This is really not okay. <laughs> so flash forward to this. So the article I was reading was there's some research being done at Manchester University by a very, by a very uh, uh, let's say, a very, very smart group of scientists who... Wait a minute. Is there a dumb group of scientists? Oh, absolutely. There's, okay. Yeah, there's always a dumb group of scientists. And that's essentially a scientist who just calls himself a scientist. Right. <laughs> okay. So All these right. are the good... These are the scientists who are, who are trying their best to use actual data and come to real conclusions. Um, and I like where it's going so far. So okay. what they figured out was based on the way that... Oct and the octopus is the only animal in the world 
that our DNA changes uh, based on having offspring about natural change of, or uh, physical, not physical change evolution, from natural selection, uh, right. adapting to our environment. The octopus is the one creature on the planet that can willingly change the DNA and the RNA of his of his actual like bio makeup on Seriously. command. That's one of the reasons these things like the mimic octopus in them, they are ch- they can change the way that their DNA is structured wow. on command. It's insane. That coupled with the fact that it has things like it'll have they have like three hearts. It doesn't make sense based on how everything else in the world is, right? You know, they say that we're so and so percentage DNA away from being a uh, being related to chimps and stuff like that. Oh, even whales and things. You know, yeah. everything sort of gets DNA from the same sort of place. But the octopus is this weird outlier. So what they're suggesting is that an octopus is actually an alien. Wow. That you know, whatever he came from or however he adapted subscribes to that previously thought of theory that a lot of the stuff that's here on Earth may have come down by an asteroid or some sort of extraterrestrial Something right. came in and implemented stuff that wasn't here. Um, and they're, they're looking into if that's the only way to make sense of why the octopus can be so different than the rest of us. That's exciting. So other than Alien Octopus being the greatest band name I've ever heard, right. it's also like an interesting concept that we have aliens swimming in the ocean right now. Right. And they are way cool. And if you look at it, it makes sense. I mean, if you stick an octopus on like a human's head... And he's got the tentacles going on. You've got yourself an alien. It looks like an alien. That's true. They're pretty gross. I need to look into getting one as a pet. (laughs) Other than that, there was also the robotic bee. You heard about that? We're all going to die of starvation, apparently. Really? Because of the the honey? The the pollen? Oh, did you hear about the... the, Okay, there are dumb scientists. You know how I know? All right, let's hear it. They taught a spider to jump. On command. They taught a spider... Why would you do this? It is the most disturbing video that I have seen. Is to oh God, watch. Oh, there's video of this. Yes, oh. slow motion. You can watch this spider jump, and so so that where he couldn't previously get to, he now can. And they said that they're doing that to learn because learning how a spider jumps will help them with nanotechnology. And making the little terrifying things that they create be able to jump. The little terif- terrifying robots they make be able to jump. So, Well, you're going to need robot technology to kill the newly trained acrobatic spiders that are running around. And that's, apparently gonorrhea. That's, all right, so gonorrhea-infested robotic spiders. Great. More, more listening. <laughs> that is so... What else are you going to do? You're going to teach them how to juggle and operate like a, a machine gun? Like, what else are you going to do for these spiders? <laughs> But yeah, so they're they're working on these robotic bees to basically just run around pollinating cross pollinating plants because apparently if the honey bees die, like we're all going to starve to death. Right. They're talking about like global you know climate change and all these other things. And according to this, they're saying our biggest problem is that honey bees are dying left and right. I don't remember why they're dying. I I don't know that they know. So so for a long time they didn't know. I don't know if they have sorted it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that it is becoming trendy now to have honeybees in your in your yard and to have beehives and mm-hmm. all of that. And I can see why. I'll tell you, it's interesting because I eat a plant-based diet, as you know, and, and there's a debate. I don't really call myself vegan because I wear leather, although apparently the guy who coined the phrase vegan um, said it was only for food. Whatever. You know, it's <laughs> like whenever you do anything, everybody gets all kind of really, really touchy about the whole thing. <laughs> 
But one of the things in um, this community is this debate about honey, whether to eat honey. And some people say not to eat honey because, you know, they're, they're treating the bees badly and sort of enslaving the bees. But I, and, and I haven't had honey in a while. And I think maybe we should be eating honey to encourage people to have bees Oh, yeah, how could you fix this? I mean, if you well, offered some sort of incentive for people to keep bees, that might help well, everybody. Yeah, that and if we can just create a big honey market. Oh, but yeah. but you know, we, I'm sure what we need is wild wild bees out there as well. But um, we should all be we should all be bee friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that has kind of the design world sort of I don't know if they're a buzz, but it's got me interested in how much cities could change is that there's a revolt against glass buildings. So there are two problems. One problem is that glass buildings require a lot of energy. And we first started creating these glass skyscrapers when energy costs were relatively low. And we didn't really, we, you know, we weren't really concerned about energy and, and what effect that was having on the planet. And so we've created these things that require a lot of heating and air. In a blackout, you know, they're saying they could just be deadly because they, they really, you could fry in one, apparently, if, because it's just, it's a, it's Right, a, it know, only really works if you have working electricity. Right, and you can't, you can't open a window. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're designed where you can't open a window. But there's another problem, too, in that if the sun hits the glass just right, it is literally like laser burning things, <laughs> melting things. There was a car that was partially melted because of where it was parked. So you're saying that there are people who want us to stop making glass infrastructures. Right. So they're, they're, they have criticism towards glass infrastructures. They're throwing stones at, at glass, glass houses. houses. Nice. <laughs> right. And so then the question is, you know, these glass buildings have become so ubiquitous. What will things look like in the future? Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that the new mayor of Paris has declared that, I can't remember the percentage, it's something like she's taking 30%, like 30% of the city, I don't remember, but a big percentage of the city will be green, will be for gardens. Um, and there's money to in, incent people to, to make areas green. So rooftops, even just little areas to actually have beans and and different vegetables growing on the sides of buildings and on fences so it may be that we're moving toward a much more a much more of a look that rather than a glass and steel you know instead of the 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 steel jungle or the glass jungle it is more truly jungly like a look where buildings and nature are more integrated and i think I'm excited about that. I think it could be fascinating. So what we may be seeing right now with these, you know, when you go to New York City and you see all this glass, that may be very dated. And our grandchildren or great-grandchildren, well, your grandchildren, maybe my great-grandchildren, but in not too long, that may be a thing of the past. Yeah, and they, I mean, they look cool. What is the uh, the convention center in New York? We went to the trade the show. The Javits too. Center. Yeah, that that it looks great. It's a giant glass cube. Right. <laughs> but it right. looks it, awesome. It is. It does look awesome. And you know, things reflect. You can see reflections and, and the glass can be various colors, anywhere from gold to, to steel, and it could be more or less mirrored. And it's it is a beautiful, mm-hmm. interesting aesthetic, but 
it's apparently dated. Yeah. And cinematically, yeah. it does something cool, too. There's a couple of examples in movies. The latest is uh, a couple of Avengers ago. There was a scene where they make a character, his name is Vision, and they basically, he's an artificial intelligence program that they put into a bio bio-made body and he becomes like this new psychokinetic thing but one of the coolest things is when he first is like born and comes up they're in this giant sort of glass tower and he goes up to the window and he's floating in front of it and you just see the rest of the city and you see his reflection the camera's over his shoulder you see the city over his shoulder but in the reflection of the glass you see his face above it and it's this really great way to not have to cut back and forth right. you just sort of see, see him, him seeing react. to what he it's, yeah it's a great cinematic technique, right. but... And when you're in the buildings, it is beautiful because you you have such a gorgeous view, absolutely floor-to-ceiling view mm-hmm. of the world. So, yeah, watch for that. Of course, this is going to be a slow-moving thing because, you know, <laughs> these things don't... I don't know. It sounds like if you have a... <laughs> Everyone, uh, it's pebble-throwing day. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll break these things down. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mauerglass Podcast. If you did, please give us a good rating on iTunes. It would really help us out. See you next time.